Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of AB Testing. Hey, Brent. Hey, Alan. We have someone else in the virtual room with us. I'd like to welcome to the podcast, David Bishop. Say hi, David. Hi. So, <laughs> perfect, perfect. So, uh, so David wait, is. Wait, uh, wait. So, wait. David, this is a podcast. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. We're we're on Zoom and 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 waving uh, just isn't going to work. Nodding your head, not going to happen. So, David is here because <laughs> he has written a pretty cool new book uh, called Meta Agility. Is that right? Do I have the right David here? That's right. That's me. Okay. So uh, we thought you'd have a guest on this week, and uh, there's a lot of things that overlap with things Brent and I have talked about in your writings, and Dave and I talked about this, but as listeners know, there's A-B testing in the title, and Brent and I have some testing background, but we don't talk a lot about testing here. We talk a lot about Agile and Lean and the modern testing principles, which have nothing to do with testing, and I think Meta Agility uh, will have some nice overlaps and good discussion points. So are you ready? When we have guests, we just ask them about 50,000 questions. So are you ready for those, David? Sure. <laughs> uh, first one is actually, tell us a little bit more about yourself. I'll give you the super softball and then the softball uh, question about meta agility. So g- give a little intro. Uh, well, uh, I'm an engineer by trade. Uh, I've been in the uh, uh, IT and technology development business for about 25 years uh, worked for a lot of different companies, big and small, large corporations, so like in telecom and transportation, and also a, a few startups as well, and pretty much everything in between. And uh, about 10 years ago, I uh, was working with a company that was in the process of conducting an agile transformation. And uh, this particular organization was, at, a, uh, at the time, a relatively new business, industrial IoT, and they were having a very hard time. And uh, to make a long story short, after watching them go through several iterations and hard stops and trials and errors and things like that, I decided that uh, um, I wanted to uh, try and solve that kind of problem. But I thought, well, how do you, what's the best way to go about it? Because it seems like nothing else is working very well. And so I decided to go back to school and get a PhD. And uh, I focused on trying to solve that problem uh, with uh, some additional skills and business to combine with my engineering background and uh, uh, ended up uh, publishing a body of work which, which resulted in some research papers and of course the, the book that we're talking about today. There's some research which is very theoretical like I see papers all the time that are this is great you've never actually tried this in the real world have you so I love it when I see people do research that actually results in practical or, or uses practical examples and relies on evidence of knowledge. Brent and I are both fans of the Accelerate book by Nicole Forsgren, uh, research-based, but also practical and pragmatic. So I've seen that in your work as well. So tell us, uh, I've mentioned this meta-agility word, and this is uh, one of the big outcomes of your your work and study so far. So what is meta-agility and uh, what's different about it? Well, there's a few things. Uh, Meta-agility is essentially a framework for managing agile transformation to help companies become number one in their market. Uh, it focuses on the product development engine of the company. Uh, one of the things that I discovered uh, when I started out on this journey of uh, researching agile transformations and 
what made them succeed and what made them fail. Started working with real test cases, real use cases rather, uh, beginning with the company that I was working with who was trying to undergo this transformation. And they were developing industrial IoT products, which are essentially embedded systems like smart meters, smart cars. Uh, if you think about all the innovation happening today, it's really all about devices. It's not just about software anymore. But these devices are composed of hardware, firmware, and software developed on different tracks by different teams, sometimes by different companies. But it has to be tested and released as one cohesive product. And that's really tough to do using traditional uh, agile techniques and agile approaches uh, as, as they've been, you know, uh, as they've often been communicated over the first 10 years that the manifesto was released. And so I set about trying to figure out, well, how do you, how do, you do this with this type of context? And uh, after going through several case studies with that company and a few other companies, I managed to uh, figure out that uh, some companies were doing things really, really well. They were, most companies weren't doing things too well. They had lackluster results or not the results they expected. But there were a small subset of companies that managed to acquire what I called a, a super agile adaptation that allowed them to leverage agility to uh, not just have an efficient organization or high quality products, but to become number one in their market. And so Metagility captures the essence of that success and attempts to uh, uh, bottle it into a framework that other companies can use to replicate the same results. And, and some other things that are different about it are, first of all, it, uh, when you compare it to other frameworks like SAFE or Scrum, or well, Scrum is really more of a methodology set of rituals, not really a framework as we call it, but frameworks are more like less DSDM, Disciplined Agile, which was recently purchased by BMI, uh, and of course SAFE. Then you have Kanban, which is down at the process level, work and process level, which uh, is now with, through certain organizations like Lean Kanban University is being expanded into more of a framework or a management philosophy. Uh, but uh, what uh, you have safe at the 10,000 foot level and you have scrum down at the team level and then you have uh, work in progress down at the process level. But what Metagility focuses on is, the, is actually the product development engine. Uh, it focuses on uh, product management, product development, project management and your development and testing teams to get the product out the door with the highest possible quality and efficiency as possible. Uh, to grab that early critical market share that uh, has been a marker for success for many companies, especially in new markets. It also, another component of Metagility is a new theory called Agile Vorticity, which is a grounded theory that came out of the research. And what that does is it tells you how agile you are. So one of the big questions in this industry is, I'm doing all this agile transformation, I'm doing all this work, but how do I know how agile it's making me? How do I know how agile I am in relation to my market? Uh, and how do I know if I need to be more agile or uh, if I can be more agile and what I need to do to get there? So agile vorticity answers that question, which is a kind of a unique, uh, actually a pretty unique feature. And that's actually been patented. And that's another unique feature about Metagility is uh, the other frameworks have not really been patented. This one has because it has that additional substance, theoretical substance that uh, can be applied in industry that others don't quite have. So that's uh, another unique uh, attribute of it. So I like the, the I'm going to let Brent dive in on this one, but the idea of how agile are you? I'm going to ask you about this, 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 this agile, uh, I think called the agile, not agile vortex, the, the agile yeah. business vortex. I'm going to go into that yeah. in a minute, but one of the things you touched on, touched on are 
a mission statement Brent came up with uh, many years ago, which is accelerate the achievement, the shippable quality. And you talked about balancing the delivery and the quality, something really, really important to us. So uh, Brent, any comments or feedback on that before I move ahead? Oh, so many. I saw you writing notes. So, uh, <laughs> so, so far away. So, so number one, uh, obviously. So um, we also are, um, have been in the industry a very long time. The one thing that you mentioned, a couple of things that you mentioned, I would ask for a little bit more clarity, but, but one thing uh, I find fascinating. So I'm a data scientist manager now. Um, one of our favorite authors whose name escapes me, but Alan will remember it, uh, wrote a book, How to Measure Anything. And Hubbard. Thank you. And uh, I think I have that book. <laughs> Ah, he's 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 a hero. Um, the uh, so the idea of uh, what I think you said it is you're quantifying the, the degree to which you are agile. Is that correct? Yes, that's the attempt. Yes, in now, relation to the marketplace. Yeah, in addition to okay, so it's a relative measure. Um, that's right. Yes. Does it does it convert to all scopes of of a team's operation? For example, uh, I run a data science team. It, it's relatively small. Would it would this concept scale down, or is it is it intended more towards the executive decision making process? Uh, it's intended more towards the executive decision making process. Now it can uh, once you have that result, you can uh, you can drill down into, you know, to the team level to try and pinpoint, uh, uh, you know, more agility or less agility with the teams. But uh, uh, that requires some additional tooling to make that happen. But it's mostly intended for the uh, PMO office and the executive level. Yes. And so let's go back. So Alan's going to piggyback on that one. So I'll I'll um, I'll stave off any further questions on that one. But. You earlier mentioned IoT. Uh, you noticed that it was having a, they were having a hard time releasing. I believe you said with traditional agile techniques. What specifically was was their problem? Uh, well, there were actually several. Uh, the company had attempted just quoting some of the one of the case studies that I worked with. Uh, the company that had uh, made met several attempts to conduct an agile transformation. This company was in the smart meter industry. This was a little over 10 years ago. And uh, to give you a little bit of background on the smart metering industry, uh, during the Obama administration, there was a green initiative uh, that kicked off quite a bit of funding to encourage utilities to adopt new technologies to update their grid. And so there were a number of companies that were popping up to uh, push this smart grid technology, uh, the smart metering technology, the, uh, uh, the uh, actually wireless networks that would allow you to uh, measure power remotely and turn power off and on remotely and do all sorts of uh, neat, fancy things. And so the, the, this, this technology encompassed uh, hardware, firmware, and software that were developed by separate teams, and in many cases, separate companies, because we had to support meters developed by different companies as well, uh, depending on the utility's needs. And so it became very difficult uh, to, as we try to conduct an agile transformation, most of the consultants, and I think they tried three or four times 
using some of the biggest consulting firms around at the time uh, to try and conduct an agile transformation. And so uh, what this, they, they had uh, one problem after another, essentially most of the, uh, um, most of the uh, consultants didn't really understand the context too well. They didn't understand embedded systems. They didn't understand uh, uh, they were, came from a purely software environment. And that was probably the biggest challenge. And so they had a, they had a really hard time uh, trying to figure out, well, how do we make these other teams agile? We can make the software teams agile, but we can't do anything with the firmware teams or the hardware teams. And so they went round and round with that and also coordinating uh, the interactions between all these teams and managing the product so that it came out, uh, that it was tested co as one cohesive product. And so that it was released uh, with the expected feature set on time was a, was a big challenge. We had situations where, you know, a firmware team might be waiting on the hardware team's hardware so they could test, or the software team might be waiting on the firmware team's release so they could test or develop against. And so there were all these interdependencies that made the product very complex and very hard to uh, uh, take a pure agile approach uh, and adapt it to that context. And uh, they, 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 the final time they tried, it, it was a, it was a terrible failure. They ended up firing half the <laughs> leadership, including the consultants. Uh, and then we, uh, uh, after talking with them myself, they allowed me to kick off a research study to try and make some changes and, and monitor those changes over a period of time. It was basically about a five to 10 year study with that context, as well as a few other case studies to try and figure out what the real happy path was. And what do you think was the single most important breakthrough uh, in that transformation? Well, there were actually several. It's kind of hard to pinpoint one single breakthrough but, uh, well, I'd say probably the biggest uh, breakthrough, I would say, would be hybrid Agile implementations. So hybrid Agile implementations, as we traditionally know it, have kind of a bad rap in our industry. You know, they think of, when they hear hybrid agility, they think of Agile or Scrum or Fall or, uh, you know, kind of a situation where you tried to be Agile and you basically backslid and you have like this mixed process now and it's considered kind of a, you know, kind of a bad thing, right? But uh, our... Our research found that uh, after making some surgical changes and, and doing a lot of testing and trial and error, we managed to uh, adopt a hybrid agile implementation that allowed this company to become number one in its market. And that required the different development tracks, hardware, firmware, and software uh, to adopt agile differently. So you would have, for example, the software teams would be more of a pure agile type of uh, adaptation where they would have their two-week sprints and they'd have their daily stand-ups and they'd have all that stuff. And then the firmware teams moved a little bit slower, so they would have maybe 30-day sprints and they may have stand-ups not quite so often. Uh, and then you would have the hardware teams who would have still more of a waterfall type of release approach. It could be 12 to 18 months for their hardware to be released. However, they would adopt certain techniques to keep up with the other teams. They would do rapid prototyping, they would uh, adopt. Some, they would use something called what we called C-level projects, which were projects under sixty thousand dollars. That would allow them to develop a quick prototype to provide to the other software firmware teams, so they could do their development and testing against it. Because this interdependency between these teams was a big problem. And so, over time, we figured out. You know, in Agile, you talk about. We hear a lot about interactions, people, and interactions, right? And how important that is. But what is it? And so what Metagilia does is it classifies all these different interaction types 
and actually provides a roadmap for the, uh, the types of interactions and communications you need to have to duplicate this kind of success. Um, and uh, it's, it's proven very, very effective. It would help this company become number one in their market. They got more meters on the ground than any of their competitors. They became number one in that industry. And Metagility uh, basically productizes this, uh, th these learnings so that other companies uh, can duplicate it, especially in the same context. Because when you think about, again, when you think about everything that's happening today, it's all about devices uh, and that embedded systems context has become so important if not the most important context today. And uh, it's something many companies still struggle with. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to build on that and then segue because I want to get into the, the Agile Business Vortex. But one of the things you're talking about a little bit, and maybe we mentioned this when we chatted earlier, is I read articles on the internet about how Agile doesn't work. And yeah. then they describe how they're, what they're doing and they've like taken one word from one principle in agile and think they're, they're doing agile practices and right. there's a lot more to it. And it sounds like, like focusing on different aspects of the communication, which is a big part of agile and driving those as a way to almost hold a business accountable for actually doing agile. I don't want to say doing agile. It sounds weird. Following agile practices, a lot closer to the original author's intent, uh, which is missing in a lot of teams. Yeah, I, I, that's a <clears throat> that's a huge problem. I mean, it, Agile. What was it? There was a if, uh, this movie I saw. What was it? Pirates of the Caribbean, where they talk about the pirates code, and they say, "Well, it's not really like rules. It, it rules. It's more like guidelines or something like that." Right? Yeah. Remember that line of the movie? Well, that's kind of what uh, the Agile Manifesto is. It's a, it's it's a set of guidelines and it's set open to interpretation to some extent and. It's often interpreted incorrectly. Yeah, and they're they're principles, they're they're decision making framework, but there's also principles. Uh, I can't remember at least twelve because I, I just quoted the twelfth the other day. But this is a nice segue into like tell me more, tell us more, tell everyone more about the this agile business vortex and what that covers, how teams use it. Just give us a little little bit more of an insight into what that is. Right. So it's actually the <coughs> agile vorticity is a, a fairly Fairly complex theory. I've actually got an, a, an entire board here. <laughs> I know this is a podcast, but I actually yeah. have an, a, a little board here that kind of maps that out. I, I will describe but, it to you. There's pictures and it's blue. Right, right. right there, we go. <laughs> there are also swirlies. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, I'll, I'll explain that. So uh, you know, you'll, if you look at the cover of the book, Metagility, you'll notice there's a picture of a whirlpool on the front. And uh, since this is a relatively complex theory, one of the ways to uh, explain a complex theory is through a, a thought experiment, uh, which is, uh, you know, that's what Einstein did with the elevator, right, when he explained relatively stuff like that. Uh, so thought experiments are actually a great way to explain uh, what a theory is and how it works. And so in my case, I used... Uh, uh, a whirlpool. And so if you think about uh, a flow of water uh, in a river, for example, uh, the, the, the flow of water that's uh, closer to the bank is going to be moving slower than the water in the center of the river because the water closer to the bank is slowed down by friction. And so if you put a, a vorticity meter, uh, for example, which is like a little buoy with a flag on it, you put that into uh, in between the two flows of water it's going to spin very fast because the two flows of water are moving at different speeds. That's called vorticity. 
And uh, so uh, the, 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 the bigger, the greater the difference is between the two flows of water, the higher the vorticity is going to be. If the two flows of water are moving at relatively the same speed, you're going to have zero vorticity and that little buoy is not going to be moving very much. So how does that relate to this? So uh, a whirlpool, uh, using the whirlpool as a thought experiment here, we have uh, with the, uh, with innovation today, uh, innovation is moving very, very fast. The markets are moving very, very fast. It's almost like a, a vortex in itself, if you will, when you think about how fast technology is moving. And so the center of the whirlpool is depicted as, uh, as market pressure, the pressure from the market. And then the uh, first outer rings of the whirlpool are depicted as uh, market agility, which is, uh, again, composed of market pressure and also uh, product genesis. So as a product manager, I'm trying to develop a product that's going to meet the market demands. And I'm going to put together a spec or a set of features uh, based on what I think the market wants. And so that is my market agility. Now, the market agility may be moving at a different speed from process agility. Process agility is the agility of my organization, my development testing teams. How fast are they moving? And when I look at an embedded systems organization, those, uh, those teams are moving at different speeds. Uh, you have software teams that move faster, firmware teams that move a little bit slower, and then hardware teams on the outer rings of the whirlpool that move the slowest. But the combination of those three rings is your process vorticity or process agility, excuse me. And so the process agility and the market agility, what you want is you want those to be moving at the same speed. You want your, uh, the, the agility of your teams and your organization to match the agility of the market pressure and the, uh, the product genesis that the product managers are setting forth. And so you're measuring the speed of the water between those two flows. Right, and that encompasses the inner rings and the outer rings of the whirlpool, which is being powered by the market pressure. And so if you put a buoy in between those two flows of, of water, if uh, the market agility is moving very, very fast and your process agility of your organization is moving slower, you're gonna have high vorticity. That buoy is gonna be moving very fast. So what you want is you want uh, your process agility of your organization to move faster so that uh, it moves it close to or at the same speed as market agility so that that vorticity is down to zero. So that vorticity tells you, uh, high vorticity tells you that you're probably not as agile as you need to be. Zero vorticity tells you, oh, I'm very agile or as agile as I need to be. And so that's, uh, theoretically, that's how that works. Now, there's a, a whole set of metrics that you use to actually uh, build that uh, measurement. Uh, which is uh, based on a PPM solution that's also talked about in the book. But um, uh, theoretically, that's how it works. So I realize it, uh, you're using the whirlpool as sort of um, inspirational metaphor. Um, but I'm curious, because can what, what negative consequences have you discovered if, say, the outer rings are actually more agile than the inner rings. Right. That hasn't happened too often. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely not the typical problem. Yet. But uh, I think uh, what, uh, what often happens is uh, uh, too much technical debt. So you may have 
you may have product owners or product managers that uh, create requirements that are not entirely based on uh, not entirely based on customer need. Oftentimes, product owners they don't change the way they develop requirements. They they develop requirements in the same way they did when they were BAs in a waterfall environment. They, they change their job title changes, but they don't change the way they develop those requirements. But David. I have been in this industry for 25 years and I know how to ship software. <laughs> right. Right. That's, that's, that's sort of the attitude on the, in terms of initiating people change, right? You, you've covered process, you've covered um, obviously framework change. I found from my own transformation is, is actually changing the mindset of the people involved is by far the single most uh, critical aspect. Um, right. And for that reason, uh, we talked about it earlier and I'll, I'll let you go back to, the, to, to describing it. Cause I think I got my answer. Um, I don't know if Alan told you this already, but I actually think the Agile Manifesto is simultaneously one of the one of the greatest tools, but it's it's also the cause of the most harm to Agile. Yeah. And, and it's for <laughs> it's due to that people aspect. It's due to the fact that they've written things uh, ambiguity or ambiguously. Right. Um, and earlier you mentioned a great deal around Agile. Uh, and and you, you made a comment around teams were deploying pure Agile, and I'm at a point where I don't actually think there's such a thing. That implies, uh, for example, what's common is Agile and Scrum are synonyms. I actually am now at a point where um, I actually think Scrum itself is the, the, the hybrid in between Waterfall and Agile. Um, uh, because Scrum is more of an iterative model, uh, and I have found that uh, when it's typically deployed, it's it's not very adaptive at all. Um, anyway, I'm I'm preaching. We're here to to talk with you. So it seems like when you said the ring, so if the outer ring is going faster than the inner ring, it's not going to be viewed potentially as the outer ring doing something uh, wrong or negatively impactful, but that the inner ring is going too slow. And that's probably where you're going to focus your attention. Is that right? Yes, I would say, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's probably a, a relatively fair statement. I, the, the research found that the organization, if this is done properly, they work together to try and keep the rings in sync. Uh, that's what the uh, whole set of interconnections and interactions is all about is to try and work to keep those rings in sync. Uh, and so it's it's rare if it's done properly. It's rare that uh, the uh, the slower, typically slower moving ring on the outside is going to move faster than the others. In most embedded systems organizations, they use uh, software as the early strike force, for example, and the way they've designed the product. That's why the software teams move faster than the others by nature because they're software, but also they're leveraged that way in order to reduce cost. So, for example. Using like uh, the Boeing 737 MAX as an example, uh, where you had this flaw in the uh, design, they attacked that with a software solution. 
well, let's just do a software update because that's typically how embedded systems organizations work is they'll try and use the software team as an early strike force to resolve these problems quickly because solving it with a hardware or firmware solution is going to take a much longer amount of time and not be nearly as agile. So uh, uh, typically these organizations do work together very closely uh, to uh, maintain synchronicity and the Medigili framework explains how to do that. Have you come across the uh, the Steve Denning book, The Leader's Guide, or Steve Denning's writing in general, uh, but he wrote a book called The Leader's Guide to Radical Management. Another book on Agile after that, the scale, something about the scale of Agile or something. But he's a business author, and I there's a, a little bit of a parallel here because he talks about agility at the business level, at the process level, which I find an interesting complement to what you're talking about right now. Uh, I've heard of him, but I have not. Uh, I haven't read that latest book you mentioned. No. Yeah, I don't like the latest book that much, but the Leader's Guide to Radical Management is. Uh, he was discovering Agile and finding ways it worked in the business perspective. Uh, years ago, I read this maybe ten years ago, so very early on, and uh, pretty pretty happy with that one. So uh, worth checking out. Worth for the listeners checking out as well. In addition to your book, so uh, Brent, you had something to say. Since we're on the topic uh, of authors, and I'm curious, obviously, Metagility is, is going to be the one that you're going to probably recommend. So let's eliminate, <laughs> let's eliminate David, David Bishop from the list of authors. Um, what authors have you read on this topic? Uh, that based on your research, uh, you would recommend or perhaps inspired you in your in your research. Like, who are the authors based off of your data are spot on? Well, I like Jim Highsmith quite a bit. Uh, many of his books, I think, are, are really great. Uh, I like when he talks about the, uh, uh, which is a big transformation for you know uh, how companies manage their business. The uh, uh, and the books where he talks about the iron triangle versus the agile triangle and understanding value and quality in an, in the agile uh, perspective is very important. And I think it's something many people struggle with understanding what value is, how to measure value, uh, where it comes from the idea of intrinsic and extrinsic quality uh, and being able to translate the old iron triangle as we all are very familiar with into this new agile triangle. I think it's just very important. It's very important to understand that in order to develop good agile metrics. And I think developing good agile metrics is important to, uh, to actually figuring out your vorticity and where you are in the market, as well as down to the team level. And so that's, 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 uh, that's a good example of an author. Also, uh, most of the authors I've, I've worked with, actually worked with uh, and actually study from, uh, publish uh, quite a bit in business journals uh, like MS. Uh, MIS quarterly and uh, information systems journals, things like that. And uh, they've been published here in Convoy, for example, Richard Baskerville. Luton is another uh, author that publishes quite a bit in the uh, uh, agile business realm, so to speak. But these are mostly uh, academic publications or engaged scholarship publications, which I've translated into industrial applications through the work I've done. Uh, but uh, I think that's very important. What, how about the reverse? Which with which authors say are popular in the agile space uh, that you fear are are leading people in a less than productive direction? Well, uh, I, I try not to uh, 
try not to, to attack. Brad, I, I, I told him we'd be nice. I'm not, I'm not asking him to attack anyone. Uh, so maybe you don't mention uh, the authors, uh, but in terms of uh, popular agile, how about themes or concepts uh, that, that are out there without um, targeting an author? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not interested in, the, in, in, in creating uh, author-to-author -author drama. I, I'm more interested in educating the audience around, hey, Here's a series of concepts that are very popular out there, and this could be harmful. Do you have a, a list along those lines? Yeah, I certainly do. Okay. Uh, and some of these concepts are not necessarily the, – the issue I have with these concepts is that uh, they're not necessarily bad within themselves, but I, I fear sometimes that they detract from what Agile is really all about. You know, there's, there's a lot of books and, and publications out there that are focused on uh, Agile as a way to make teams happy. Agile as a way to uh, work together well and, and, and love each other. And uh, uh, there's uh, ways of leveraging Agile to become a better leader uh, and things like that. These are all, I think they're important, but uh, I've seen probably a greater focus on those types of themes lately than the theme of, competition, the theme of, hey, the purpose of Agile is to become more competitive, to get higher quality products out the door faster before your competition does so that you can gain more market share. That's the real, real definition of agility. And I feel like many of these publications, by focusing so much on those other themes, are losing the essence of what Agile is really all about. And that translates into making it more difficult sometimes to convince executives to take on an agile transformation because they want to see the business case. They want to see how an agile transformation is going to translate to the bottom line, how it's going to improve profits, how it's going to improve market share. And if you present it as a way to, well, this is going to make your teams happier. It's going to make people work together better. It's, uh, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, it's going to make people feel more fulfilled and all that, which it can do. I think very agile certainly can do those things, but I, Focusing so much on that, I think is, uh, uh, I think we we're, we're put ourselves in danger of losing the essence of it, and makes it more difficult to to build a case for agile transformation in many ways. That's yeah, a the, really great call out. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on this yeah. one ahead of you, Brent, because this is music to our ears. Because uh, we talk about focus, you know, the user. We quote Eric Reese a lot. Our engineering efforts are useless until it's in the hands of customers, and our focus is in proving the business and only the customer understands can really truly evaluate quality. A lot of things Brent and I say, and people do get caught up in the, I'm going to use the D word in the dogma of agile and say, well, it's important that we, that we follow these rituals properly or the rituals as I interpret them. But no, those are a how and customers don't care. I gave a talk at a conference maybe 10 years ago on test metrics and I, I mocked up a, back in the days when you could actually buy a box that had software in it. Anybody remember that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I mocked up a box that said, had a bunch of metrics like over 1,000 unit tests, 78% code coverage. You know, customers don't care about the how. And the important thing is the business and getting something out quickly. And another thing we've talked about a lot you brought up, which I'm glad you brought up, is 
the ability, the agility to get to market quickly and ahead of your competition is so, so important, especially in this fickle world where you not only have to get out first, but you have to keep the customers happy because you only need to make one little glitch before sometimes, maybe not an embedded system where there's more of an investment, but often uh, they'll, they'll change, change directions. Anyway, Brent, build on that. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, I think the issue at hand is, that, is the context that you're trying to sell Agile to. Right. Many of our listeners circle back and say, hey, you've convinced me. Now, please give me advice on how I convince uh, the execs to, to play a hand here and at minimum support, at maximum, uh, drive, uh, drive leadership around the transformation. The, I mean, the, the I agree with David that that uh, both are absolutely needed, but I I also agree with David that um, the executive is a place to start. There's a lot of science out there already that shows highly engaged teams have a greater customer empathy, right? There are more folks at the ground level uh, than at the executive level, so having the the ability for them to be aligned with the executive's decision principles, but actively learning and making uh, tactical tweaks or changes that are in line with what their customer is doing in an engaged fashion, really, from my experience, accelerates agility. It, it, uh, gets everyone aligned in applying their knowledge at their levels to move forward. That said, I wouldn't want to over pivot on the executive level as well, because time and time again, I've seen uh, great agile practices move forward and get blocked by uh, essentially command and control at the top, who is often far too busy to understand the details. So it, it, it's an intricate balance. Um, and I think what I've heard from, from, from David earlier, right? He, I, I suspect Metagility is going to be about constructing hybrid models that work best for the context of your business and your market. Is that right? Yeah, that's a good way to position it, yeah. Uh, so from my experience, there really is no such thing as agile. It, it is a ever increasing set of tools uh, that may or may not apply in your particular context, right? You mentioned earlier, hey, it doesn't make sense for the hardware team perhaps to do a daily standup. Whereas someone in a different team, I forget your example you use, but they will need to do a, a daily stand-up. Uh, retros, right. Retrospectives, I mean, it, it, you got to understand what, what it is that you're trying to do, what it is, the approach. I've actually found Agile is significantly more complex to confidently deploy than Waterfall. Waterfall has very prescriptive do this than this. Right. But... A lot of people take up a framework and they go, oh, we must, must follow the rules. 
And I think they forget the number one rule of agile and that's adapt. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, do you want to go to your next series of questions? Yeah, yeah. I, I want to build on that and go on. But yeah, the, one of the things Brent and I talk about a lot is that people focus on the iterative process of, of, of iterative as being agile, which is really just the old spiral model in a way. But what we focus on is just it's the ability to adapt. And that's what we want to do because we need to, that's the only way we can build the right things for our customers. So right. uh, one thing I'm curious about to go on another question. So you've done a lot of research and I love research-based writing. So this is fantastic. I'm always curious though, when I talk to someone who's done some research and written a book about, about how to apply what they've learned in their research, what surprised you in your research? Anything come like that was, cause we're always with our research, we're often trying to prove or disprove a hypothesis. Right. Often we go, well, that, there's an outlier. So I'm kind of curious what, what, if anything you found during your research that was a little bit or a lot bit surprising to you. One of the things that was surprising was that uh, to be able to see the linkage between the agile adaptation that was being made and the companies becoming number one in their market, to be able to see that linkage and define that linkage and know that it's there and actually see the results. uh, That was fascinating to me. You know, in our heads, we know conceptually that should happen. But to actually see it work successfully is is a joyous thing to see <laughs> and exciting. Uh, it was also surprising to me that a hybrid agile implementation would provide the results that it did. But, you know, previously I, I thought, like many people, that oh, this needs to be more of a pure agile adaptation. You know, we need to follow the rules. But the rules have changed. Uh, they often change based on the context. Uh, and they've changed often over time. You know, there's been one of the things I talk about in my book is how uh, if you look at the four tenets of agility of the Agile Manifesto, how those have sort of changed a little bit uh, in their application today and in our best case studies compared to, you know, the way they were written uh, 20 years ago. And so those are some of the differences that I saw that uh, I was surprised by. I have I have a question sort of related to that. And then we should probably think about uh, wrapping this thing up. But I think we answered this earlier, but I want to ask it more specifically. So when you set out on this journey to discover, like you had some eureka moment around meta agility, did that come out of the research or did you have kind of this concept in mind as you began and you're trying to prove that? Or what did you, here's a better way. What did you see missing in the world of agile that led you down this path of meta agility? The main thing I saw missing was how agile am I? How do I know if this is working? And how do I measure it? That's what was missing. And I didn't know how to find it, but that was one of the things I was looking for. And I used a uh, qualitative method of uh, a method of qualitative research called grounded theory analysis, which focuses on what the central phenomenon is in the case studies that you're seeing and helps you derive that central phenomenon out. And that's what agile vorticity became. Yeah. So it's, I think it's less of, to go back to your previous point, less of how agile am I, but is it more of how agile do I need to be? I think it's both. I mean, it tells you how agile you are and, you know, how agile you probably need to be and how to get there. And again, it's relative to the market, right? So yes, we've, we've talked on the podcast many a times how, how, Speed to market and adapting to market challenges is 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 a winner for that company. And and there's 
just millions of case studies on this topic now. So it, it, it's sort of the the old uh, lion, the lion versus the the zebra, right? It, it's both sides need to move as fast as possible. Uh, if you're if you're to win a market, you just need to be faster than the next fastest or the next leader. So in some regards, uh, and if you have the right muscle, then then you're well prepared to adapt. Um, to any other sort of challenges or up and coming rule changes. That's, that is what I see is going forward. The biggest, the biggest next challenge now that David, you've solved how to measure uh, agility. I think the next biggest challenge is going to be sort of to predict when the rules are changing again. Right. Yeah, in, in the book, I talk a little bit about what's uh, what's coming forward, what some of the changes uh, that we're seeing in some of the research. Uh, the idea of uh, there's a lot of talk about Kanban and how Kanban is integrated into uh, Agile by managing your work in progress, and how is that going to work with Scrum and the other frameworks, and also uh, how the Agile Manifesto is going to continue to change and evolve as technology and innovation itself evolves. Uh, you know, for example. People in process over tools or people in interactions over processes and tools is one of the tenets of Agile, right? And that's what we learned 20 years ago. But tools have evolved. Tools have gotten a lot better. Tools today, uh, they support collaboration. They support uh, distributed teams. And so tools are not necessarily a bad thing. They can help you actually become more Agile. So that's just one tiny example of, of how maybe... The, the tenets of the manifesto may somewhat change over time and be interpreted differently as technology changes and the industry changes. So research I've read recently along those same lines um, points out that it's actually people, processes, and tools are critical and it's measuring the right integration between all three. And, and, and I think that's to the point you just made. Yeah, and absolutely. All right, Alan, I'll let you close. Well, gee, thanks, Brent. Yeah, what Brent said, that that balance of those things is important. Uh, in my role, I have I, I carry the process hammer, but I use it very carefully because I need to balance I need to balance uh, what the org can tolerate, what's needed for our business. And sometimes I sometimes I'll have to push a little bit more process into what we do. Uh, while retaining our culture of autonomy and agility. And it, it's it's a fun leadership challenge to balance those things. I do, f- I have recently been saying something, tools, not rules, which may be uh, good for a t-shirt sometime. Right. <laughs> of course, that could have other implications. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, you made me think of it. Anyway, uh, Meta Agility is the book. I'll put a link into the show notes. Uh and I want to thank you, David, for taking the time to be on the podcast with Brent and I, and Brent's virtually applauding. Uh, that means applauding on mute. I hope you're doing well in this time of everyone stays in their chair at home all the time world that we live in. Uh, and, and where about in the country are you? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. In, in Hotlanta, Georgia. So That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what's the, real quick, just what's the, before I close here, what's the COVID situation there? Are you all... Uh, just hanging out at home, same as up here in the Northwest? Is it sort of the same thing countrywide? 
Uh, well, I have been. Uh, I'm down here in my basement in my fortified bunker. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. But but uh, as you probably have heard, you know, our governor has uh, Governor Kemp has been somewhat controversial in the fact that he's uh, been one of the first to uh, lift some of the restrictions and open up uh, hair salons and nail salons and restaurants and things like yeah, that. My, so na- my some- nails are fine, so I'm going to chill at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine too. Uh, I can let my hair grow out and, and you know put it in yeah. a ponytail or whatever. My my plan as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it safe. I just got myself a wall. Oh my <laughs> god! Yeah, baby. The glare, the glare <laughs> off that head. Wow. So I'm actually I have uh, I'm gonna start owning a remote team in Atlanta, and it's interesting because we we've been looking at it. You just said Kemp did this, and I find that fascinating because. Based on a lot of predictions, uh, Georgia hasn't gotten over the hump yet. Right. Yeah, we had uh, we were in the top, uh, I think, top five, you know, thanks to the Atlanta Hartsfield Airport, which is one of the biggest airports, and we're a major hub for Delta and other airlines. And so, yeah, we got uh, we got hit with uh, a lot of cases. So, why doesn't Governor Kemp like the old people in his state? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. We'll leave this in as, the, as, as the bonus footage, but no, we'll, we'll have this in the podcast again. Thanks both of you for taking the time to be here today. Uh, this will go out on Monday. Uh, I have your email. Make sure you get a direct link to the, to the recording, but good luck to you in success of the book, uh, success of your health and everything else that you do. So thanks again. And uh, we'll see you next time. Same to you, and thank you both for having me. It was a joy, David. Thank you.